Blog Talk Radio. I'm out. 
this is why we voted for him. I think everybody who voted for him knew his personality was grotesque. His personality was grotesque. It was the issue. I hate to say it, but I agree with every line in my friend Frank Bruni's op-ed in the New York Times today. Where is the great negotiation? Where is the bull in the china shop we wanted? That budget, the Republicans pushed through as a practical joke. Did we win anything? And this is the great negotiator. You said during the election and in a column that if there is no wall, it's the end of America. Trump was our last shot. I thought it was Romney. And then, lo and behold, like a miracle, Trump comes along. I still believe in Trumpism, but I have no regrets for ferociously supporting him. What choice do we have? We had no choice here. I mean, my fingers are still crossed. It's not like I'm out yet, but, boy, things don't look good. I've said to other people, it's as if we're in Chicago and Trump tells us he's going to get us to L.A. in six days. But for the first three days, we are driving towards New York. (laughs) Yes, it's true. We can still turn around and get us to L.A. in three days, but I'm a little nervous. What's behind him driving towards New York? If he grabs the steering wheel and turns around and takes us toward L.A., then I'll just put put down put it down to him not being a professional politician and having to come into the presidency with no support network with all those official all all of official Washington against him. I have from the beginning been opposed to Trump hiring any of his relatives. I didn't like that either. Yeah. Americans don't like that. I don't like it. That's one fascist thing he's done hiring his kids. But I understand if you're in Washington, you don't know who to trust. The party was against you. The politicians were against you. The bureaucracy was against you. And by the way, this isn't to say anything bad about Jared. Everything I know about him, I think he's doing a great job. But even if he's absolutely the best person for the job, I don't like the hiring of relatives. I could understand all of that if he gets control of the steering wheel and turns it around and starts going toward L.A., If we just keep going toward New York, well, again, I'll say we have no choice, but the Trump haters were right. It's a nightmare. I can't even contemplate that. Right now I'm still rooting for him to turn around and take us to L.A. Are you going to be apologizing to those never-Trumpers? I don't apologize supporting Trump. He said all the right things, and nobody else even would even say it. I suppose it's possible that another politician who really meant it would come along is Chris Kobach. Tom Cotton, Jeff Sessions, they're probably a handful of politicians. I got to tell you when I wrote Adios America, I thought there was a 10% chance of saving the country. On the evening of November 8th, I thought we have a 90% chance now. This is a chance that comes along once every thousand years we can save America now. And now I don't know. I'm someplace between 10% and 90%. How much blame does congressional leadership deserve? (coughs) I do, of course, blame Congress. Most of all, they are swine. They only care about their own careers, and who knows how much of it is corruption and how much of it is just pure stupidity. People should start sending Paul Ryan bricks to indicate how much we want the wall. <laughs> they're, they're our opposition party to Donald Trump. Um, this is really something we've never seen before. And the president stands alone. It's his own political party. He's Gary Cooper. All we have is millions of Americans behind him, but he doesn't have anybody in Washington behind him. And during the campaign, you said you would um, have a start to write mystery books if Hillary Clinton won. Are you preparing to write, uh, start writing these? This and, this, and this goes on, but I think we should go to our documentary. Yeah, yeah. it goes on a little way. Yeah. But nevertheless, just know that, that Ann Coulter is ready to Teetering on the fence that was I never guess, built. Yeah, I guess She's so. standing on top of that wall, but it's not very high, one brick. I think that's interesting, too, because uh, I feel the his, same way that she does. She's supporter. About, he promised that wall or fence right. and to have some kind of policy. That's all I want. Well, here's, here's something from Conservatives Are Destroying Our Future. <laughs> and it's uh, the Supreme Court specifically Judge Bader Ginsburg, is deciding right now whether to hear a case that, if decided in favor of the plaintiffs, would nullify the 2016 election. Yes, nullify the election. The case is number 16-907. It is listed on the Supreme Court of the United States website. 
And the plaintiffs argue that Putin's interference in corruption of our election makes it illegitimate. I wholeheartedly agree. I believe treason was committed. Also, uh, do you? And it's called uh, hashtag nullify. Well, I want to see what the results of the investigation. Oh, of course. We're going to see that. Before you rush to judgment there on that. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So let's see what we have to say here. Yeah. Um, should I should I read this quickly before we go no, to that? No, I want to go right to that. You know what? This is why Trump is buried in the scandal. No, we'll come to the the, we'll come to that. Let's okay. go to to the. Uh, it doesn't. It does help Explosive a Dutch documentary. Let's go right to that. Because right. we don't have that much time, Leo, and I want to get this. I want to hear it. Come on. Okay. 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 Go to the documentary. Okay, please. Lila, I am going. Give me one second, please. He keeps going past it. Oh, okay. It's about 40 minutes, so it's going to take up most of the... Yeah, I want to call to Putin occurs a few days after the publication of thousands of Democratic Party documents by WikiLeaks. Explosive Dutch documents. services. The documents were stolen by Russian hackers. Sixteen agencies all came to the exact same conclusion that Donald Trump, the election hacking was done to make him president for Vladimir Putin. I don't think anybody knows it was Russia that broke into the DNC. She's saying Russia, 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 but I don't, maybe it was. I mean, it could be Russia, but it could also be China. It could also be lots of other people. It also could be somebody sitting on their bed that weighs 400 pounds, okay? Meanwhile... Congress has seven pending inquiries into the Russian interference in the elections. Wow. Still, Trump denies that the Kremlin has helped him become president. This is practically an act of war in the age of information. Why isn't he demanding the answer? But he's not. He doesn't want to know. Why does Donald Trump insist that he has no involvement with the Russians? We also ask Pulitzer Prize winner Michael D'Antonio. He has interviewed Donald Trump many times and wrote a best-selling book about him. It's likely that there is Russian money that's uh, flowed into Trump uh, organization entities in one way or another, and that some of this money may have um, sources that are scandalous and would be uh, posing a big problem for a president, and if the Russians have that information, it could be what they're holding over Trump. I put it this way. If you're a gambling addict and you owe someone a lot of money, you will never insult your bookie, right? Yeah. According to Nance and D'Antonio, Trump is likely to have had a weak spot as a businessman that the Russians would have taken advantage of. <laughs> I've made over eight billion dollars. Donald well, Trump likes to present you. himself as a successful and extremely rich entrepreneur. Generally speaking, if I put my name on something, you know it's going to be good, and it sells. But as it turns out, Trump is not at all that successful. In the 1990s, his casinos and real estate businesses go downhill. We're on our way to see James Henry, lawyer and economic investigator, and an expert in the field of tax evasion. He has a history of six bankruptcies in the 1990s, so none of the major New York banks would lend to him. Trump was pretty much unfinanceable. Henry has dug deep into Donald Trump's business contacts. According to him, since his bankruptcies, Trump has become dependent on shady cash flows. The only way that he was able uh, to finance his resurrection after 2000 um, was the torrent of money flowing out of Russia and the former Soviet Union countries like Kazakhstan, Azerbaijan. The uh, investors that he got at that point were looking for safe havens uh, or opportunities to launder money that it proceeds from basically criminal enterprises. Trump himself denies having any financial connections with Russia. So I tweeted out that I have no dealings with Russia, 
I have no deals in Russia. I have no deals that could happen in Russia because we've stayed away. Uh, and I have no loans with Russia. The thing to notice when Donald Trump talks about his relationship with Russia is that he always says, I have no business in Russia. He doesn't say that Russians have no business with me. Indeed, Trump does do business with Russian partners outside Russia, as his own son Donald Jr. said in 2008. Russians make up a pretty disproportionate cross-section of a lot of our assets. We see a lot of money pouring in from Russia. And I thought at that time, this is very strange. You know, I've not heard anyone else talk about how Russians are investing in their real estate. This is a much older relationship than the Russians have actually developed with Trump that may well go back to the 1980s. Really? Yeah. Because Donald's first trip to Moscow uh, was in July 1987. In the 1990s, under the Boris Yeltsin administration, Russia finds itself in a deep economic crisis. After the collapse of the Soviet Union, the state-owned businesses and the many mineral resources are sold for a song to a small group of corrupt insiders, the oligarchs. The rest of the people live in poverty. That's why there was such a demand for Putin at the end of this period. When Vladimir Putin takes office, Russia becomes an increasingly authoritarian state. Putin tightens the reins. From now on, he decides what happens to Russia's wealth. A lot of these very wealthy oligarchs began to put money abroad, financing um, people like Trump. And there was also an explosion of crime coming out of uh, mm -hmm. uh, a, a Russia, organized crime, which it's pretty hard to disentangle the organized crime aspects of this story from the oligarchs because if you got to be a multi-billionaire, you didn't do that uh, in Russia without help from uh, you know, some fairly tough people. I think it needs to be discovered exactly what the relationships are, why so many of these people would want to pour money into Trump properties. Who are Trump's financial backers? To find out, we visit this New York building. Trump Soho. 46 floors of luxury apartments. To get it off the ground, Donald Trump works together with another real estate company, Bayrock. I think in the case of Bayrock, we have a company um, that is led by people who have extremely shadowy backgrounds and profiles. Who are the people behind Bayrock? And where does the money come from that was used to build Trump Soho? In a minute, we'll show that Bayrock has connections with the Russian Mafia. That one of the owners is allegedly involved in the prostitution of minors. And that Bayrock is setting up shady businesses in the Netherlands. We discover that there is a lawsuit pending in New York against Bayrock. The company is accused of large-scale tax fraud. We want to know more. We make an appointment with the man who is prosecuting the case against Bayrock for the state of New York. Fraud expert and lawyer, Philip <laughs> Oberlander. Anybody running a business through a pattern of crime is guilty of racketeering. Anybody knowing what they're doing and helping them is guilty of racketeering conspiracy. They go to jail, and anybody injured by what they did can sue for triple damages. We delve into the history of Bayrock and end up with this businessman, Tafik Arif from Kazakhstan. Arif's family has made their fortune in the chromium industry. In 2001, he sets up Bayrock. He certainly was a figurehead for the company. Okay? And from everything I know, he was the source of all of its seed capital. As it turns out, 
Tafik Arif is a hotel magnate. Confidential documents from Arif show that he uses complicated structures to run his hotels through companies in the Netherlands. You're dealing with people that seem to be involved in a worldwide network of shell companies, money moving around. In New York, Arif finds the perfect business partner, Donald Trump. Trump promoted himself as a larger-than-life real estate developer. So we have this new player in real estate probably um, funneling money from Russian oligarchs into the American market, but needing a partner who was impressive and brought value of his own. Bayrock sets up business at the heart of Donald Trump's entrepreneurial empire, Trump Tower in New York. It seems a match made in heaven. Bayrock has the cash. Trump has the name. He even has his own television show, The Apprentice. In that show, we can see him put Trump Soho in the spotlight for the first time. Soho, here it is. The Trump International Hotel and Tower in Soho is the site of my latest development. This 50-story building will be the first condominium hotel in the city with world-class accommodation and panoramic views. Trump and Bayrock jointly own Trump Soho. Under American law, that means that Donald Trump is jointly responsible for all the business decisions made. Does Trump know who he's teaming up with? Internal Bayrock emails show that in addition to Arif, there is another owner, Felix Sater. Who is Felix Sater? He was born in Russia in 1966, uh, came to Brooklyn in the 1970s with his father, who was uh, uh, named Mikhail Shafirovsky, changed his name to Sater, and was called by the FBI a uh, syndicate crime boss for Simeon Mogilevich's uh, uh, Moscow organized crime family. Felix Sater's father is a mafia boss who works for one of the most infamous Russian criminals, Semyon Mogilevich. According to an FBI director in a CNN interview, he has been in the top 10 of the most wanted list for years. Mogilevich is a, is a very high profile international organized crime figure. He's a man of a great deal of means, and we have every reason to believe that while he's based out of Russia at the moment, he could possibly be traveling uh, under false identification using aliases throughout the world. Mogilevich is considered responsible for numerous murders. This is him in a BBC interview 20 years ago. Did you have anything to do with his murder? Interestingly, over the past few years, at least three of Mogilevich's gang members lived at Trump Tower or bought apartments there. Some of the leaders of the gang are arrested and convicted. Felix's father is also arrested for extortion. He uses violence to force Brooklyn entrepreneurs to pay him. So that was Felix's father. In 1991, uh, Felix was convicted of stabbing somebody with a, a uh, margarita glass in a bar fight. After the stabbing, Felix Sater is arrested and put behind bars. He seems to be following in his father's criminal footsteps. And then he becomes involved in financial fraud. And he has a $40 million scheme in pumping penny stocks. Fraud and deception. Sater proves to be good at it. He works together with a group of mafia members, artificially driving up the value of shares by providing false information. The FBI traces him, but Sater flees to Russia. When he returns to New York, he still stands trial. But then, something strange happens. He is basically on the verge of pleading guilty uh, to those offenses, but he does a deal. Sater closes a deal. He becomes an FBI informant. He avoids punishment by turning on his accomplices. Supposedly, 
This has landed dozens of mafia members behind bars. And that's not all. Sater is also said to have helped American intelligence services. Some say that he went back to the former Soviet Union and at that point uh, provided some information about Stinger missiles that were being sold to the Afghan <coughs> Taliban. In exchange for the information, Sater stays out of jail. In fact, the American government covers up the court transcripts about the fraud. Shortly thereafter, Sater reappears in the real estate company of Bayrock. In an interview with a Russian magazine, he says, <coughs> I became a managing director of Bayrock. We had an office at Trump Tower, one floor below Trump's. As the court transcripts about Sater's fraud are sealed, he can simply move on to business as usual. Banks and investors in Bayrock do not find out anything about his criminal past. When you are running a business secretly controlled by Russian mafia, you got a whole lot of problems. Not a lot of banks are going to want to lend to a business run by the Russian mafia. So your number one objective is going to be cover it up. Oberlander says that by keeping Sater's past a secret, Bayrock is committing a felony. It isn't legal to run a business where you hide the fact that the biggest owner, or one of the biggest owners, is a convicted mobster. The maximum jail term would be 30 years. So you're in really serious trouble. We are in possession of internal Bayrock emails from 2007. They show that the company itself is indeed aware of Sater's crimes. For example, the legal counsel writes about the risk that Felix's past will be uncovered. Furthermore, he wants Sater's name removed from the documents. <coughs> Felix Sater goes far to keep his secret. A Bayrock employee tells the lawyer Oberlander that he is being threatened by Sater. He said, how many times Sater threatened to kill me? He threatened to stab me in the throat. If I ever talked, he threatened people all over the place at Bayrock if they ever talked. Oberlander tells us that he himself is being threatened by one of Sater's associates as well. The threat said, if you don't drop the case now, then you'll regret it. An investor in a Bayrock project accuses the company of embezzlement. He swears that Sater has threatened to administer electrical shocks to his genitalia, to cut off his legs, and to leave his dead body in the trunk of his car. Of course, we are anxious to know how Felix Sater himself looks back on his past. We go to Port Washington, an hour's drive from New York. We have a couple of addresses where we might find Sater. I'm looking for Felix Sater. Do you know him? Anything would be, no, I don't know. Anything would be that way. That way? Yeah, the one around that way, yeah. Okay, thank you. Right. Safe, Nathan. It's got to be down that way a little bit. Okay, that side of the street then. On that side, right. Okay. Because that's the odd side. Okay, thank you. This is supposed to be one of Sater's business addresses, but the place looks closed. It's been a long time since the mailbox was last emptied. Back in New York, we do find an address for Bayrock. The company is no longer active, but is still registered to the former legal counsel, a Mr. Julius Schwartz. Mr. Saber 
because of a $40 million stock fraud case that was prosecuted by the federal government? Same answer. What did Donald Trump know about Felix Sater's crimes and his position at Bayrock? If Trump has kept Sater's criminal past a secret, he is an accessory to fraud and deception, says Oberlander. If I can show that Donald Trump at some point knew the truth about the crimes at Bayrock, or even some of them, and kept on helping Bayrock's businesses while knowing that it has been engaged and is continuing to engage in crime, that's it, goodbye, goodbye. So, if Trump knew about the shady background of his business partners, <coughs> that could have huge consequences. What information did Trump have anyway? In 2007, the New York Times publishes an article on Sater and his crimes. So from then on, Donald Trump has to have been aware of them. And he said, I'm going to tell you this much. I guarantee you I'm going to get to the bottom of this really fast. Really fast. Trump promises to get to the bottom of the whole story of Sater and Bayrock. A meeting is called. We discover that the meeting is attended by the Bayrock management, as well as virtually the entire Trump family. Yeah. They were all coming. Trump, Trump Jr., Eric, Ivanka, every lawyer on the They were all coming. But Donald Trump does not seem to intend to cut the ties to Bayrock. In fact, we can read that he uses the situation to demand more money for himself. Sater emails that Trump is happy with him. But in his external communications, Donald Trump acts as if he hardly knows anything of Sater's history, as becomes clear during a BBC interview. Why didn't you go to Felix Sater and say, you're connected with the mafia, you're fired? Well, first of all, we were not the developer there. That was a licensing deal. But your name was on it. A very simple licensing deal. Much but your name's on it, Mr. Trump. Excuse me, but I don't know. You're telling me things that I don't even know about. He was connected with the mafia. Again, John, maybe you're thick, but when you have a signed contract, you can't, in this country, just break it. And by the way, John, I hate to do this, but I do have that big group of people waiting, so I have to... Okay, now, hold on. One last question, please, sir. I have to leave. Um, Thank you. A few months later, Trump is again confronted with Sater. He has to give a statement under oath in a lawsuit about a real estate project. About how many times have you have you conversed with Mr. Sater? Over the years? Over the years, if you could ask. Not many. Not many. If he were sitting in the room right now, I, I really wouldn't know what he looked like. Okay. This time, Trump says he won't <coughs> even recognize Sater if he bumped into him in the street. That's strange. Because after leaving Bayrock, Sater becomes one of Trump's advisors. He is given a business card from Trump's company, a telephone number, and an office close to that of Trump. It's an intriguing question. Why does Trump continue to do business with Sater and Bayrock? I think there's almost a thrill that he felt dealing with people who are willing to do things that others weren't willing to do, to act tough to um, enjoy the suggestion that they're to be feared. <coughs> Bayrock and Trump have ambitious $2 billion building plans. So they need investors. Investors who are willing to invest millions in the real estate projects. Who are these financiers? In a Bayrock presentation, we find this company, FL Group from Iceland. It turns out to be one of Bayrock's strategic partners. It turned out that FL Group uh, was at one point, 2006, the largest private equity investment firm uh, in Iceland, that it had a lot of connections to uh, the other big banks in Iceland. In the court transcripts, we can read that FL Group is backed by Russian investors that are said to be Vladimir Putin supporters. There was a number of allegations I heard that the FL Group was a major conduit for finance from Kazakhstan or from the former Soviet Union. We do see FL Group making loans 
to people connected to the Mogilevich group. The records show that FL Group and Bayrock enter into an investment agreement. But we also read that there is a secret plan. FL and Bayrock are said to be planning a $250 million tax fraud together. All the partners have to approve the official agreement. Donald Trump also signs to indicate his approval. The truth is, it never would have closed if he didn't sign off on it. End of story. And I'm pretty certain that he knew that that was the case. Trump himself says he had no idea that this was a fraudulent transaction. I have concluded without any question that Donald Trump may be credibly charged with participating in a racketeering conspiracy based on what happened at Bayrock. Another strategic partner of Bayrock and Trump's comes up in the list of key investors. Alexander Moscovich, a Kazakh billionaire. Moscovich is a friend of Tafik Arif, managing director of Bayrock, another Kazakh. Moscovich is known to have been uh, running a lot of the chromium uh, uh, mining industry within Kazakhstan. And um, the Ari family was, of course, uh, then uh, running the processing of uh, chromium. We meet with Michael Byrd, a British investigative reporter. He has conducted an extensive investigation into Moscovich and Arif. In the uh, late 90s and the early 2000s, when the Ari family developed a lot of hotels and went into the U.S. real estate market, certainly um, it seems that the that Mashkovich needed someone there on the ground in New York to uh, be the public face of a lot of the uh, developments that, that were happening there. And Tessic uh, very much fitted that role. The oligarch Muscovich is one of the owners of the Eurasian Resources Group, a Kazakh mining multinational. He is also a leader of the Jewish community. Everything what I do, whatever this guy did, and I hope what I will do, I do it from my heart. Yeah, but... Because... Because I believe what I do. This sounds good, but this Bayrock business partner, too, comes with a questionable reputation. Moscovich's company has been the subject of investigations into money laundering and corruption for years. In 2010, Moscovich and his friend Arif make negative headlines. A Turkish SWAT team enter a luxurious yacht in the port of Antalya. According to this Turkish police report, there are young Russian prostitutes on board that are said to be the victims of human trafficking. In the report, we find the names of Tafik Arif and Alexander Moskovich. Alexander Moskovich had asked his friend Tafik Arif to organize a party, and that party uh, involved uh, nine Russian models who were brought over to the yacht. Arif is supposedly using the sex party on the ship to close lucrative deals with foreign business partners. The Turkish police were investigating a sex trafficking scandal because what happened in the earlier that year, in 2010, is that um, people close to Tefik Arif had brought in girls as young as 15 from Russia to Turkey to their hotels. So, Tavik Arif is suspected of human trafficking of underage girls that are said to be prostituted at his hotels. Arif also rounds up the nine women on the ship. They are adults. The women refuse to give a statement. Alexander Moscovich, who had rented the yacht, manages to get out of the country. Certainly, it seems that he used his connections to, to get out of the country at that point. He didn't uh, face arrest. Um, and neither did his colleagues, 
the only person who faced arrest was Tefik Arif. But Tefik Arif, founder of Bayrock, is acquitted. Oh, Only two of his associates are found guilty of human trafficking. How much money has Alexander Muscovich invested in Bayrock? We see he has all kinds of companies in the Netherlands. One of these companies, ERG, turns out to have a major branch in Amsterdam. We visit their office. Once inside, we are told that this is the financial heart of ERG, yeah. Moscovich's company. So, any payments to Bayrock may have been arranged through this office. Back in Washington, Congress is investigating Trump's Russian connections. One of the Democratic congressmen involved in the investigation is Senator Sheldon Whitehouse. There needs to be a proper balance, and that proper balance has been lost uh, in the route of corporate power that my book documents. We attend a speech given by White House on a new book that he has written. It's about the corrupting influence of large corporations on politics. What is the danger of having a president holding ties to Russian oligarchs, even maybe involved in deals concerning money laundering and tax evasion? The... Um, Danger is that it plays into a well-established Russian toolbox of foreign influence. One of the ways in which the Russian government manipulates governments around it, first the old Soviet republics and now Europe, your country, and in the last election, America, is to build a network of people whom they can control. And the traditional method is to find somebody who has uh, somewhat slippery business practices, an interest in politics or connections in politics, and to recruit them with basically bribery deals. Thank you so much. Do you think this ultimately will lead to his impeachment, Senator? There's a very significant chance of that. The senator thinks that Trump is likely to go down, partly because of his shady business deals. We seem to have stumbled on another questionable business partner of Trump's, yet another Kazakh. And again, there is a Dutch connection. It's this man, Viktor Kropanov, former mayor of Almaty, a city in Kazakhstan with over a million inhabitants. The Krapanovs were collecting money to stiffen into Swiss bank accounts and hide it there. They're now fugitives from justice. Krapanov is on the Interpol International Wanted List. He is wanted for stealing hundreds of millions from Kazakhstan. Krapanov is said to have laundered part of that money by buying three apartments at Trump Soho in 2013. From Bayrock, and Trump. Well, we're dealing with very clever international money laundering criminals. And it turns out there's more going on with Kropanov, Bayrock, and Trump. If we follow the money, we find out that, as early as 2007, Kropanov set up a business in the Netherlands through front men. At the same time, Bayrock also sets up a mailbox company in Amsterdam, Bayrock BV. And then there was an overarching company, and that's where the money went. Kropanov and Bayrock also start a joint business in Amsterdam, Casbay BV. As we can see from the act of incorporation. It was designed to get millions of dollars out of New York into Europe through Casbay. Casbay was just a conduit. Emails show that the Dutch structure was set up by the law firm then owned by Rudy Giuliani. Huh. Giuliani is the former mayor of New York and has been one of Trump's confidants for years. Donald Trump
love is our only hope for change. We see that Bayrock and Kropenov use a Dutch intermediary, a trust office. That office sets up a so-called mailbox company. This way, the trust office makes sure that no one finds out who the real owners are. Four trillion euros are handled by Dutch mailbox companies every year, many of them through the trust sector. Truskantoren zijn in Nederland aangesteld als poortwachter, poortwachter van een integere financiële sector. We visit DNB, the Dutch Central Bank. DNB has had great concerns about the Dutch trust office practices for several years, because more than 50% of those offices break the rules. Wij zien nog te vaak dat um, basale vereisten van uh, wie is mijn klant. Waar komt het geld vandaan? Wat is het door de structuur? Hoe leg ik dat vast? Wat zijn de transacties? Zijn die ongebruikelijk? Dat die basale processen onvoldoende op orde zijn. It's particularly Er staat nergens in de wet dat je zuid no met een politieke of een ex-politieke uit Rusland of uit Rusland. Dat hoeft niet. De DNB beschouwt Rusland en Kazachstan Trustkantoren moeten weten met wie ze zaken doen. Dat mensen die willen witwassen, die zijn betrokken bij terroristenfinanciering, waar fraude en belangentegenstellingen, verstrengelingen spelen, dat die worden geweerd. Has the Dutch trust office that Krapenov and Bayrock used to cover up possible criminal activities? We visit the man who, through the trust office, used to act as director of Bayrock BV and Casbay BV. Dag, Sander Riefveld. Van Zemla. U heeft in 2007 twee bedrijven opgericht: Bayrock BV en Casbar BV. Ja, hij zegt de naam Fikko Krapunov. U iets? Does that mean anything to you? I think that says enough 
What do you think, Len? I think so. That was 40 minutes of, of an interesting thing. Russia denies Trump lawyers point to secret tax returns, hmm. denying Russia's ties. Um, the Washington Journal piece on this included a salient detail I had neglected to mention. This is a postscript from that article, and it said, a Russian would not lend directly to Trump or his businesses, says Steve Rosenthal, a tax lawyer and senior fellow at the Tax Policy Center in Washington. A Russian would, for example, lend uh, fund a Cyprus corporation, um, which would lend to Trump or his businesses, possibly through other intermediary intermediary entities, which is what ha actually happened. You know? Says today, um, USA Today reveals that Trump's empire was built with money from the Russian mafia. Uh, that was interesting. USA Today quote here. Um, the strange fixation that United States President Donald Trump <coughs> has with Russia and President Vladimir Putin is gradually being explained by investigative journalists and details being reported are painting a very surreal picture. On March 28th, American a newspaper USA Today published an eye-opening report that was put together following a review of court documents, public records, and consultations with Ken McCallan, a former U.S. attorney. The investigative report comes to the sordid conclusion that Trump may be hiding his tax returns not because of the outrageous deductions and loopholes he has taken advantage of over the years, many years. While this could be considered to be outrageous, it would pale in comparison to the alleged connections to Russian organized crime that USA Today claims to have uncovered. The sordid state of affairs is centered on nearly a dozen individuals with whom Trump has done business. These are either Russian citizens or businessmen from countries that were formed former Soviet republics. Uh, these individuals have specious, uh, suspicious ties to the Russian mafia and to the Kremlin. And the level of involvement with Trump ranges, ranges from purchasing Trump Tower condos to actually developing properties and lending money to the Trump organization and brand, which the U.S. president still owns. As can be expected, these new developments do not bode well for Trump, who is currently the target of an investigation with the FBI about potential collusion between Russian operatives and the political uh, campaign that resulted in the elections of most controversial president the U.S. has ever seen. <coughs> Many of the people who have done business with Trump in the past have criminal records and are connected with the Russian oligarchy. One concern of analysts is whether Trump owes money for favors to Russia. Okay. And, um, you know, and uh, that would explain the Russian nepotism that resulted in the appointment of Trump's daughter, Ivanka, and her husband, Jared, to White House positions. Some of the most ruthless mafia operators are known to target family members of those who owe them money, and for that reason, he put them under, you know, uh, you know, government security. Mm -hmm. Spokespersons for the White House and for Trump administration have not responded to the USA Today report. Nonetheless, political analysts are concerned about this new development to the work the FBI is currently carrying out. And there are also issues related to suspicious individuals who played a part in Trump's electoral campaign and who may have had strange dealings with the people connected to the Russian oligarchy before November 16 elections. And these individuals include Paul Manafort, political strategist and retired General Michael Flynn, who resigned from his Security Council position due to alleged contact with Russian ambassador to the U.N. So the guy's dirty, man. I mean, that, this is guy is so damn dirty. I know, and it's terrible, but it, he's dirty. He's just dirty. Kind of looks that way, doesn't it? Yeah. Really, really friggin' frightening. Yeah. Really frightening. It's too bad. Um, let's see. Oh, yeah. Uh, most popular cheese recalled. This was uh, the other day. But uh, <coughs> Sargento's cheese is dead in the water, I guess. Oh, they took the page down. <laughs> yeah, it took the page down. It's 
an error. Uh, let's do that. Can't have that news. AmericanFlashNews.com. Uh, McConnell uh, shuts down Trump's investigation, says this is more important. I don't know why. Uh, yeah, the, the North Dakota, uh, the Dakota Access Pipeline spills oil before it even uh, comes online. Yeah, that's happened. Um, amazing. Amazing. Sources tell Politico, White House staffers do much of their lying for sport. Imagine that. Wow. I guess they, they have fun lying. This is from Cooks and Liars. It says, sources close to the White House revealed to Politico that President Donald Trump's aides have been competing to see who can tell the biggest lies to the media. In a report to Politico magazine, uh, all these crazy names, uh, explain that Trump is waging a fake war on fake news. Uh, rather than a historically toxic relationship, uh, members of the White House press corps described the historic gap between the public perception and the private reality, the report quoted, noted. According to Politico, White House Chief Strategist Steve Bannon and White House Press Secretary Sean Spicer has both been uh, privately cultivating relationships with the media while attacking the same outlets in public. Uh, <laughs> oh, boy. Um, but the White House habit of constantly lying about inconsequential details like the size of Trump's inauguration crowd continues to perplex reporters. He said, White House staffers do much to the lying for amusement, Politico explained. Bannon, it is worth noting, is a devoted reader of the neo-reactionary internet philosopher Curtis uh, Yarvin, an advocate of the strategic benefits of spreading misinformation. But two people close to the administration say that the White House staffers do much of their lying for sport, uh, rather than no further any, any larger agenda. They all lie, said a conservative journalist with close ties to the West Wing who described an informal contest to smuggle the biggest whoppers into print. It's a game to them. He says a member of the White House communications team confirmed the situation to one conservative activist who spoke to political. They said <coughs> they'll print what they want anyways, so we may as well have fun, the activist said. So that's that's uh, that's uh, the Trump White House. And let's see, we have about three minutes left. Uh, let's see. Trump steals $4 trillion for himself and his top 1% friends. Can you imagine that? Huh? He stole $4 trillion, Lana. Wow. $4 trillion. While he was in New York? Or? Yeah, he says, is Trump a crook or an idiot? If you go by the way he's promised to do for America, he's a crook. But if you think he's trying to do what's best for America, then he's just an idiot. The reason Ireland charges charges only a 15% uh, tax, a corporate income tax, uh, let's see here. charges only a 15% corporate tax rate is because they are otherwise an attractive place to do business. So they compensate for that by offering incredibly low tax as an incentive to get businesses to move there. When Ireland dropped their corporate tax rate to 15% in 2015, their economy was $180 billion and they attracted $300 billion uh, worth of corporate assets, uh, which grew their GDP by 26%. But it did not grow our revenues because it wasn't enough to cover the overall low rates. And employment barely changed because companies simply moved their official address to Ireland and kept their actual offices elsewhere. So Trump, this is a big fraud, and uh, you know, this is what's happened. But anyway, I hope you enjoyed the show tonight. You know, it gives you a real uh, uh, close-up look at, at how crooked this bastard really is. And, uh, you know... Gotta do something, huh? Gotta do something about it. It's, uh, it's really, really bad. And uh, 
So I'll let you go with that tonight. I want to thank everybody who joined us. And, uh, well, I wish you the very best. And uh, please join us next week. Okay, Lila? Lila. Yep, I'm right can, here. I can you say good night? I can. Good night, folks. And I just don't know what to think about this big mess. It's a mess. No doubt it's a mess. Really? It's, it's, it's overwhelming to me. I, it I, is. I, I it just is. don't it's, know where... It's shocking, and it's, that report was was very good, and it goes on, you know. But we had to, we couldn't play. What happens thing. when the mafia wants their money from Trump? Oh, they get it. They kill cool. What they did is they they decided. They didn't think of it.